0: The Sports Career Podcast, episode 271. How to create a winning team culture in sports and in business. Hello, Sports Achiever, and thank you for listening in to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in understanding how to build and create a winning team culture in sports or in business. I hope today's episode can support you with regards to your sports career development, interests, and needs before i talk about this week's podcast special guest if you really enjoy these podcasts and you don't want to miss an episode make sure you subscribe and also if you've been listening to the show for a while make sure you leave a honest review and a rating i appreciate your support and super grateful so hit that subscribe button now and take action now today's podcast special guest i'm super excited to share with you ollie phillips Ollie is ex England captain for the men's England Sevens team. He is a World Sevens Player of the Year. He's a four time world record holder and he is currently the founder of Optimist Performance, where he supports businesses and sport organisations build a better team, environment, and culture. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Ollie as a podcast special guest. And in this episode, Ollie will be sharing with you what it really takes. To create a winning team culture in sports and in business, Ollie, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please, you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start?
1: Oh, blimey! When did it all start? Straight at um, my love and uh, an appreciation and whatever else of 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 sports started from an early age, like at the age of four, really. But um, but it's, if you like, it started to get serious when I was probably. F- 15 16, I think that's sort of when you get the opportunity to go and play England under 15s or England under you know, uh, uh, sorry, England under 16s, England under 18s, wherever else it is. So I started to sort of play county level rugby and I just yeah, it just sort of grew and flourished out from there. Um, and then by the time I was 17 18, I was getting contract offers to go and sign for Harlequins, um, and then yeah. Truth be told, I actually messed up my A levels and went up to had an opportunity where I was like, okay, I either go to Harlequins here because they'd offer me a contract, or sort of bite the bullet, go to universities because if I if I try and do the two, I'm gonna get it horribly wrong. So I uh, I actually jacked it in for a little bit, well not for a little bit, for like six months. And went up to Durham. And then when I was up at Durham, Newcastle Falcons came knocking within a, within a, you know about a year or six months of being up there. So I ended up straight away going and training with them. And obviously the attraction of then being with them when they had the likes of Wilkinson and whatever was you know, an attractive proposition. So I was like, mm, okay, let's just do this. And that's when my I fell in love with the North East and the rest is history.
0: Okay, I want to talk about your sevens crib, but just going back on decision-making reflecting now how significant was it with that going to the university and having that education alongside with your sport in interest in rugby like reflecting how important was that decision
1: yeah I mean it was a necessity for me I I'd I'd basically been predicted AAB at A level and I ended up with a BBD so I was sort of like okay I I need to do you know I, I need to go and actually get an education here or do something that um gives me an opportunity or puts me in a position where it looks like that was an anomaly. Otherwise that would be kind of the end of my education journey. And as a result of that might reflect badly if I on any future employment or whatever else that I wanted to do. I mean, I, I now looking back, I just think it's absolutely nuts that, um, decisions that you make as a sort of pretty immature 17 year old, 18 year old, it could impact you for the rest of your life, which is, the, which is the harsh reality really. Um, but so, so it was kind of that, that was a decision that well, I guess was sort of forced on me a little bit. I mean, I was always intending on going to university anyway, but if I'd have hit AAB, to be honest with you, I was probably, I was meant to go to London School of Economics and do economic history with economics. So I was basically destined to be boring for the rest of my life. And I, truth be told, I mean, that was in the Strand in Central London. Quinns were based out in Aldershot. There was just no chance. I mean, the reality of it would have been, I'd have spent my whole time in Aldershot. I'd have never gone to the Strand and I probably never would have finished my degree. Um, And so the the BBD was kind of the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to readjust and reassess of like, okay, I've made a mistake. I need to go and make amends. Durham... Mm -hmm gratefully and thankfully said, look, actually we'll still take you. So I went up to Durham. I hadn't ever actually been to the university and had a look round. And when I got up to the Northeast, it was a an amazing, as you'll know, Ed, but it's, you know, amazing community, a campus university, like a collegiate university, the, the, the city is the university effectively. So it's a really brilliant, small community. And I just think yeah, I just think that's what helped and shaped everything, and as a result, it focused me back in. I, you know, I got my two one. I mixed with some amazing people that are still my best friends to this day, and you know, if you like, I hadn't really sacrificed anything from the professional rugby career in the end because the quality of sport and rugby at Durham was excellent, and Newcastle Falcons came knocking within, you know, six months to a year of me being there.
0: That's awesome to hear, and I didn't realize before the show that we're in the same college at Van Mildert. So you picked the college yep. right up the hill. So a lot of walking. I bet you're fit, just like I was, just commuting everywhere from Van Mildert to all the different exactly. places.
1: This is where you tell me we're you know brothers from another mother, Ed. Abs- you know, just, absolutely. You know, all these uh- all these revelations.
0: Absolutely. But I just want to hit on a serious point with regards to athletes who are listening. How did the education support your rugby to have a sort of different focus? Because I know some athletes just go the athlete route and not have any other, shall we say, hobbies or other interests during their time of being an elite athlete. So looking back, how vital
1: was that element? Yeah, I think, I mean, truth be told, in the, in the, in the moment of living and breathing it, It was a it was a nuisance, right? It was a pain in the backside of like I was a distraction, and I was all I really wanted to do was chase an egg around a rugby field all the time because that is, I don't, that's what made you know made me feel good, look good, all the sort of stuff, gave me kudos and credibility at uni and all that sort of rubbish, right? All the stuff, basically all the stuff that doesn't actually really matter, but is vanity. But now, reflecting, if I hadn't of so for example now I run my own business now and I'm a director at PwC there is not a chance I would have been able to have entered into PwC with a BBD not a chance Um because computer would have said no on entry point as a 18 19 year old or as a graduate if I hadn't then gone to Durham and got a two um I wouldn't. I did an executive MBA at Cambridge. I, I, uh, following my rugby career, I wouldn't have been able to get into Cambridge because they wouldn't have accepted me, obviously, with my grades. And if you didn't, it didn't have a, resp- a two-one from a respectable university, you wouldn't have gotten in either. So, you know, in, in terms of the things that, that actually investing time and effort into my education, apart from the obvious stuff of it, you know the stuff it teaches you, it it was a it was and is an enormous enabler. For things later on in my life. And I was just too ignorant and too sort of big headed at the time of being a 21 year old or 20 year old or whatever I was to understand that. I was just sort of, you no, know, let me just go play rugby and let me go and have have fun um, and, and focus on that. And another element I want to focus on as well is the networking, like looking
0: back, how has it supported you? Like today, it's be at the same place, it creates that connection straight off the get go. I want to teach my listeners, like by going to university, you, I ended up. Building a network when you leave, three years later, four years later, five years later, and ten years later. So I just want to emphasize looking from a network standpoint. How has it supported you
1: as a business, you know, director or business owner? And the short answer is enormously. And digging down into that a little bit deeper, it's the it's the classic sort of you are what you eat. You know, you want you are what you kind of surround yourself with. If you if you surround yourself if your network of people that you're infinite that you're mixing with and mingling with all the time are aspirational go-getters achievers then good things are likely to come in into your life right you're just surrounded by people that have us can do attitudes and they want to be successful and that doesn't necessarily mean financially as well which is which is a component of it but just their philosophy on life is that they want to achieve and they want to enjoy it and they want to have success in in it and that definition is very broad and i found that by being in environments university elite sport my my school or whatever else where i had people that were aspirate that had aspirations of achieving things of getting good jobs or moving on to you know doing Disruptive things, or being professional athletes, or playing for England, or whatever it might be, that that helped give me clarity, give me focus, give me goals that I then worked towards, which you know ultimately made that meant that I achieved things. And equally, if I had ideas or or things that I wanted to bring to the party, but I didn't really know how to do it, the power of the network then enabled that to become to bear fruition and to become a reality rather than just constantly sitting there wondering about how do I do this?
0: Absolutely. And one quick thing you've just mentioned already, how important has it to define your definition of success on the rugby field and off the rugby field?
1: Yeah, my definition of success has just changed, I think, over time. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. I just think I kind of, I mean, as always, I kind of wish I had the perspective on life that I have now when I was younger because I probably wouldn't have... Sweated the things that I did and chased after some of the nonsensical things that were really irrelevant kind of thing. But I guess that's all part of the the journey. As As a 20 to 30 year old, success was all about, could I lift more weights than any other person? Could I sprint faster than any other person? Could I be fitter, stronger? Basically just all about competition and being the best at that environment. And the, and there's some merits in that, right, that this that gives you some discipline and some focus and whatever else. But you know, it can it's it's also it's also if you like being driven and influenced by constantly proving others wrong. And it's never actually about your own, you know, the, it's never actually sort of focused in on what makes you really happy internally. It's it's more just like, right, well, if Ed can jump that high, I'm going to jump higher than him, not actually, why does that even matter to me? Um, And then I sort of realized in my now, in my 30s to my 40s, it's just more about, I mean, I'm still competitive. I still I still want to be successful. But for me, successful now is is the ultimately the best version of me that I can put forward and having a real understanding as to how that contributes towards goals and aspirations that are of, of real meaning to me of you know of, of of real value and real purpose and i'm not saying that the stuff i did and the stuff i was fortunate enough to achieve on a rugby field didn't hold any value or any purpose but they were definitely if you like the drivers of them were probably not 100 percent centered and focused around my internal drivers it was more about maybe proving someone else wrong or a coach picking me or you know i don't know getting eighty thousand people to to love me or or a um what do you call it a, j- a journalist to write a good report on me something like that which to be honest now i just couldn't give a monkeys about to be honest so does it sort of
0: come down to just being humble Like i get when i graduated i wanted to get my life rocking and rolling but actually the older i'm getting i've learned being humble and patient of course being driven that's the sort of focus I've learned from over interviewing 250 people and even learned from you just now, it seems like being humble is part of the characteristic
1: of the success you want to achieve. So yes, is the answer, right? Humility is obviously a a, a, a critical component because, you know, are, are we, are, what's, where's actually, Ed, where's swearing on this whole piece. I mean, I, I mean, it's is, about. Be you and be yourself. Well, you know, the, well, the old, you know, the old, all blacks mantra of no, no dickheads, right? Um, so, you know, you can be the best in the world, but you don't have to, to be a be a prat with it kind of thing. So I think obviously from that side, humility is absolutely essential. You know, keep the basics right. Remember where you sort of come from and always just keep that those, keep yourself level headed and grounded so that you you constantly appreciate the growth and the success that you achieve. At the same time, don't mistake being humble for the need to not be confident in your own ability, and your own talents. There's nothing wrong with, you know, I, I think believing in your own abilities and pushing that forward Like as a as a coach. I I enjoy seeing players that have confidence in their own abilities and they demand. You know respect and they want to you know they want to play they want to be in a position where they've got responsibility to showcase their talent i think that's really really credible i think that's an it's a very british thing right to be sort of self-deprecating or whatever else whereas i i much prefer somebody to be confident in their own ability and there's a obviously a fine line between that and then being arrogant but you know arrogance for me is where you start to cut corners because you think you don't need to work hard and you think you're better than everybody else that's you've gone too far being confident is i believe in my ability and i'm going to do absolutely everything i possibly can to maximize it and deliver like the best performance that i can possibly deliver and i'm so confident that i can do that all i need from you is to give me the ball like give me the chance give me the opportunity to excel and i think that if you like, coupled with humility is a very, very potent combination because you never lose sight you never lose sight of who you are, where you come from, the foundations that enabled you to, to deliver on the you know, on the big stage and to deliver the best version of yourself, but you're confident enough that you're gonna try, you're gonna take you're gonna take chances, you're gonna embrace change, you're really gonna smash the ball out of the ballpark whenever you get the opportunity to do so. Can we um, bring in a case study? Because honestly, what you're talking about being confident in your ability,
0: I want to share a case study that you've done in a rugby game. Very lucky enough to have Ben Bengalings on the show. We, we did a case study of your final in 2008, 2009 in Wellington. You were 17 5 down and talking about being confident. I don't remember, you scored a huge try before half time to make it um, 17 5. Like, out of interest reflect from this one game and it was a final by the way for listeners like what did you learn from that experience of you being confident because this try everybody you, you literally got the ball just before the halfway line and you just put the afterburners and scored in the corner I don't know if you remember but yeah, what yeah. Did you learn? I can remember it like
1: it was yesterday <laughs>
0: okay so could you just share that that game experience because you were the captain as well like that moment but particularly the moment when you got the ball if you remember of taking ownership and being confident in your ability
1: there's, there's split decisions on a rugby field all the time where you've just got to back yourself. Once you get to that stage of playing for England, you've had so many experiences in the past where you've maybe made the wrong decision, right? You kind of just intuitively know when when to have a go and when to not, when you can push the boundaries and when you when you need to sort of hit the brakes and come back out. So you know, from my my perspective, I knew, to put that into context, I had dislocated my elbow six weeks prior to that in Dubai playing for England and everyone had said he won't make it back fit and I I was desperate to be there but just because of the momentum it was my first that was my first tournament as captain I was super I was wanting to build like a col- an environment and a culture within our team that that really really del- encouraged us to believe in our own ability and this was off the backdrop we hadn't done very well the year before we'd finished like six in the world or something and I wanted us to be the best in the world and I I firmly believed in order to do that you needed to live breathe and act as if you're the best in the world like deliver against that don't don't be timid and shy away from the fact that you have aspirations to be the best I think there was an interview with Cristiano Ronaldo the other day where he was like we're a top one side like or top three he said and then Rooney said no they're a top one side that for me there's no shame in that but live breathe it act it understand what that means and then deliver against it right and coming into wellington i'd worked so hard to get fit for that tournament i believed in the, in the group of players that we had there was a there was a, just a a momentum behind us just just a spirit that nobody else believed in out externally but internally I, look i knew we had something great and no england side had ever gone to new zealand and and won they never even got out of the group stages and here we were against New Zealand in their own backyard in front of 55,000 people who had all written us off before the start of it all anyway, with an opportunity to rewrite history. And it was, it was almost, you know, it was just almost poetic, right? You can write a better script. We go 17 nil down and then we win it on the Hooter and Benny Gollings kicks the winning kick to, to seal you know, a historic victory that England's never ever achieved before. And I think if I'm honest, There was never, there was never a moment in that whole, whatever it was, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, a half, whatever it was, where we just didn't think we're going to win it. We just, we just, we just knew that we had the ability. I mean, granted it, it was probably squeaky bum time when Kev Barrett kicked it away and with 30 seconds to go. But, but I just, I just think that that's the beauty of a team. The, the the beauty of the team is that you you equip yourself with people that are more capable than you and are so skilled in their specific area. And actually, the sum of all the parts is is greater than the individual. And um, yeah, and we delivered. right? I mean, we there are other times where we didn't deliver. But that and in, in that in that period, it was, you know, there was uh, tomorrow. To our point, there was a humility in our group, but there was a confidence that was oozing out of us and a belief in and a determination that we were going to we we were going to be the best in the world we were going to be ranked number side number one side in the world and the way that we do that is you look adversity in the face and you you smash it down and we did just to touch on that like looking at adversity in the face um there is a youtube
0: video everybody we can watch the whole replay the one thing i love about the video is there's the half time talk with Ben like saying I'm excited I can see three tries in you that's what he quoted like as the captain at half time when you're 17 17-5 down like how did how important was that moment to communicate clear messaging in that half time to make things happen in the second half
1: I think the thing that you notice about that conversation is that there's no um, there's nothing specific right it's not like oh you know we need to pass the ball more or ruck speed has to be higher or something else like that because we all knew right we all knew the game plan and and what we had to execute we just knew we'd got off to a bumpy start so actually all his messaging was centered around was sort of the emotive side of it which is look i believe in you i trust in you i have every faith in your own abilities and i know that you've got the capability to go and win this game right and i'm telling you now what is required in order to go and win this game and it's three tries go out there and deliver that um and and then i think he says and you can play them off the park you've got the fitness you've got the energy let's go out and get it right and and all of that stuff is just reinforcing belief reinforcing positive mindset and i think that's you know that as a the critical component of anything, any walk of life, whether that's sport or business or whatever, there are so many, if you like, our natural focus or our natural aptitude is to focus on all the things that we got wrong. Right. So you, I mean, I've been in change rooms in the past where we've won like 55, seven. And the next morning when we're, we are reviewing the video, we're looking at all the things that we've done wrong. And I'm like, Look, we just we just smashed this team fifty five seven. There's a whole load of things that we've done right. You know, let obviously, let's not be ignorant of things that we could maybe improve on, but let's really celebrate the things that we've done well and reinforce those positives, because what you're giving your time, energy and focus to, to my point of the beginning of like you are what you eat and what you surround yourself with, like if your life is filled with positive reinforcement, positive messaging, Positive image imagery that's showing you all the time what a good outcome looks like and what great execution looks like and what great behaviour looks like, the likelihood is you're gonna deliver great behaviour, you're gonna deliver great performance, you're gonna deliver good outcome. If your energy and time is all centered around all the things that you're rubbish at and all the things that you've done badly at like you're more than likely just to, you know, you might do it slightly better, but you're still going to deliver a, a crap outcome. I, I never forget. There was a guy, Steve Black, who was kind of he's an inspiration for me. He, I mean, it's common sense, but it's just not common practice. A lot of this stuff is you know, focus, maximize your strengths and manage your weaknesses. And his argument was that Ollie, you've come in because you've got an X factor. So that's put you here and these are your weaknesses. If you spend all the time on your strengths and focus, they're going to go like this. Right. If you spend all the time focusing on your weaknesses and you've only got 24 hours a day, so you can't then therefore spend more time on your strengths. You're going to go like this. And in the end, you're going to end up in the middle. And that's going to be what we deem as average and nobody wants average players. So like make sure that the weakness doesn't become a vulnerability that you know know you score six but you let in eight well okay then that's something you know that's going to be problematical for your performance of a selection but if you walk onto the field and maybe you let the odd try in from time to time but every time we give him the ball he scores four you're going to play and and that's you know that's the argument you know i saw so many players in sport where that you know that Young players come through, and they a good example is often around the weight issue, lifting weights and how heavy you are and where else. And all these coaches, I'd see them go like this young kid who'd come in and he was really mobile and agile and athletic around the field and good over the ball and good speed, but a bit light. And they'd be like, "Oh, Ed, you, like." You're too light. You know, you're not you're not heavy enough. You're gonna get thrown off. He wasn't really, but you know, you're gonna get manhandled. You're gonna get thrown off. This is what could happen. This is what you know could happen. So he then spends the next year of his life eating 17 chicken breasts a day, going from you know like 90 kilos to 105 kilos, 110 kilos. And at the end of the year, they let him go. And he's like, mate, why have you let me go? Why am I contracting? Like, oh well, look, you know. You're Not very agile, you're not very dynamic you're not you're not around the not not around the field anymore, and he's like, you just told me to get bigger, you told me to get bigger and stronger and more physical and yeah yeah, you know sorry da, da. so that is an example of like horrific coaching, and that goes on all the time all the time yeah you know, it's about that careful balance of focusing on what somebody's super strength is, maximizing that getting them to spend the majority of their time on that but if you spotted something that is a potential weakness or flaw in the future growth of them and that the, to, to meet their aspirations and goals well then help them you know coach them through that but don't let them lose sight of what they're what, what's got them there in the first place
0: i really do hope people are taking notes Look, Oli, I do have one question about leadership because I want to go back to that example because Ben nicely hinted, Ben Gollins hinted that, about belief and team cohesion, that you did a Harley-Davidson bike ride in New Zealand. <laughs> um, like, this is really important. Like, how important is to have team cohesion on and off the pitch? And if you wouldn't mind just sharing why that was
1: important, that bike ride, when you were uh, doing that tournament, reflecting. It was chaos in the end, but it was great. For, I mean, to give people some context... We've gone to New Zealand. We come with a backdrop of, you know, never ever being able to ever do anything or you know get anywhere. As I said, out the group stages, and I was like, well, let's not just stick to the conventional rule here and just put more, you know, stay in our rooms. You know, every Thursday before the tournament, you get the day off. So I was like, well, let's not sit in our rooms and think all day about how how much pressure we're going to be under and how how difficult a challenge it's going to be and all this sort of stuff, right? Like I, I believe in our ability. I believe in our cap and the, the 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 team that we have and the capability of everyone that we have. So let's just let's let's just go out there and have some fun. Let's just go and relax. I mean, we're here for a good time, not for a long time. So I contacted the Harley Davidson Owners Group and thought, right, let's go and just do something different. And I said, Look, would you give us a tour around New Zealand? I mean, now thinking about it, like health and safety would just have gone absolutely nuts at this, but as it turned out, we had 35 Harley Davidsons all pull up in the hotel sort of foyer area. And there was only 12 of us. So all the lads jumped on the back of these Harley Davidsons. But they're all there with the leathers and the skull and crossbones across their faces. and so We all jumped on the back. We didn't have any other clothes. We, you know, it was obvious we had like England blazoned across our backs. And they took us on this amazing just tour of the whole of Wellington. And just absolutely amazing brilliant spectacle and just a just a cool novice novel thing for us to do and I think the thing that I don't know it maybe just I mean that that definitely cut the air but I think another thing that made made us all laugh but also a uh, focus this in maybe a little bit was right at the end we drove down the main high street in Wellington and as we drove down the main high street in Wellington all the cars are parked on the side of the road so all the Harleys just revved their bikes. I mean, so the noise is like deafening. So, as we drive down, every single car alarm goes off. Every single one. So, the whole of Wellington, like High Street, has got not only the noise of the um, Harley Davidsons revving the crap out of their engine, but also every single car alarm going off. So, they're all irate. And then they're looking up and they see blokes with skull and crossbones, and then on the back, England all across the back of it right so we're already you know going to new zealand's hard enough we're already a target in itself without now having this one this sort of poison chalice around our neck to, to to deal with and i think it just it just made everyone laugh it just cut the it just cut any tension in the whole room but at the same time just enabled the all the lads to sort of focusing of like okay we've got a job to do here now like We've got, you know, we've kind of put ourselves on a pedestal. We've turned some heads. Now let's go and deliver on it. And 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 because we came at it from a, a position of being confident but relaxed, it it allowed us to express ourselves and play our game and deliver against our ability rather than worrying about everyone else and you know everything else that we should do. Okay, just
0: from this one example, reflecting that, how has it supported you in a business? like environment because i hope people can relate this to business like why team building is important with a team why believing your ability by not focusing too much on a competition like how is that one example relatable in the business world from your
1: experience yeah i, mean, I don't take any of my clients on harley Davidsons, but maybe i should do that maybe i should do that actually maybe i'm missing a trick but um like i mean i think it's about an appreciation and an acceptance that there is no set conventional way of doing things right the the lesson i took out of that is that people perform to their to their true potential when they're relaxed when they're relaxed and when they're comfortable and when they're focused on them and delivering you know f- for themselves rather than worrying about external pressures or what the board might say or you know what their team thinks of them or anything like that. It's about how do you create an environment that allows people to flourish? And most of the time, people flourish when they feel uh, part of a community, when they feel relaxed, when they feel that they can be themselves, when they can be expressive, and when they can ultimately discover and develop their true talents. So my role as the captain was to try and create an an environment and a culture in our team that enabled people to feel that they could be themselves. And I think that's the, you know, that's the same now in any team that I run now of like, I appreciate difference. I appreciate like a variety in conversation and a a, a variety in um, perspective. So as a result of that, you know i, I want to encourage that difference i want to i want to channel it towards like here's the goal like the goal is we want to go and win this tournament the, you know we want to hit this whatever it is metric or whatever so there's a focus point and i want to i want you to kind of understand that i appreciate there's going to be lots of routes that we all get there it doesn't really matter which road you go down to get there as long as we get there so t- my role is to try and make you feel as relaxed and as comfortable about the fact that if ed says he would like to go right and do this but you know ollie says he'd like to do it on one leg no problem give it a go i mean if as you go through the process i start to say look, ollie doing it on one leg is maybe not going to be that constructive and we can have an open and honest conversation around it that's only going to be made feasible by the fact that you feel that you have you know you trust me and that you are you believe that i'm there to look after your own well-being your own i'm after i'm interested in your success and ultimately your your own personal goals and personal achievements so i just found and i find now that if i can create an atmosphere in which people feel accepted that they can be themselves that they can be expressive that they can um feel like they're in an environment of of trust and belonging well then You've won half the battle. With regards to that, creating that culture and that belonging, like
0: how important was that from Auckland that supported you in the final in Twickenham when again against New Zealand it went to 26 all golden try, if I'm correct? Like, was that a helpful like reflection? Like, because what you did in Auckland, it built confidence like we can do this again and come back and win in England. So I just want you to share, like, building that culture can lead to further successes. When you're against adversity
1: like you were at twickenham yeah i mean once you've done something once it's a lot easier to conceive you can do it again for starters right so once you've been there and done it you're like well i've been here done it i know i can do this so let's let's knuckle down and do it kind of thing because the same thing happened we went i think 19 nil down in that game so we didn't make it easy for ourselves but you know to elaborate on your point that game was one um well, sorry, that game was taken to extra time by a moment of magic from a guy called Dan Norton, who's yeah. now went around the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that was Dan Norton's first ever tournament. That's the first time he'd ever stepped on the field in an England Jersey, you know, and obviously talk about pressure and whatever else, 60,000, 65,000 people at Twickenham 19, 20 year old lad, right? If you know, I would like to think, I mean, he's good now. He's become one of the, if not the, way, well, he's the all-time try scorer in sevens history, but he, probably one of the most successful sevens players of all time. But at that point in time, nobody knew that, right? Maybe Dan Norton knew that, but nobody else knew that. And my role as captain, Ben Ryan's role as coach was to create an environment that, you know, Ollie Phillips, who was the old stooge and Dan Norton could coexist and could be, you know, partners in crime, right? And that comes again from the culture of like, Dan Norton came on with 35 seconds to go in the final and we were down 20, I can't remember what we were down, 26, 19. I think we were down. Yeah. You had to get the conversion to make it 26 all. Yeah. And Dan Norton came on and did something that only Dan Norton can do, which is basically wheels everybody and was, but just now, if our environment, was if our culture was one of sort of quite oppressive and quite structured, and Dan, you only do this, he would have probably been so scared or too fearful to actually have the courage to do that, to try that. But because the environment was, if you like, I hope, was one of trust, belief, faith, encouragement, positive energy, positive vibes, Dan Norton came onto the field with a mindset and a belief that I'm going to win this game. I'm going to score the winning try here. Oh, sorry, I'm going to score the try that takes us to extra time, and, and like all, like with all these things. If somebody does one thing, we, we, you know, we, um, we used to call it contagious behaviors, but if somebody does one thing, you follow it and you reinforce it and you follow it and you just carry on. And the moment he did that, we knew we were going to win the game. Yeah, it was a huge momentum shift without a doubt. It was, it was done. It was, it was, it was done deal. So, you know, it went to extra time. The moment it kicked off, we knew we were going to win because of the belief set. And if you like the environment, the culture that we created and, and him coming in clean slate fresh off the bat first time he'd ever experienced it he hadn't he hadn't been in Wellington for some. he had no recollection of what that was and what we went through and whatever else but it was just the environment that I hope it, you know he would reflect on too and that we created that was like you know actually I've seen opportunity I'm going to go for it I'm going to go I'm going to try and wheels them outside and believe that he's going to burn them rather than maybe fill his head with doubt of like, if I go for this and I go into touch, I'm going to, the ball's going to get turned over. We won't win the game or like, I've just got to keep hold of the ball, keep hold of the ball. You know, all these sorts of things that that's not Dan Norton. Dan Norton is not like play it safe, mate. Dan Norton is mate. When you get the ball wheels, everybody do something that no one else could do on a rugby field, be you. And that's why he's a special player. And that's why he, You know, it was Mickey Young that ended up scoring the try, but it was it was Dan Norton that won us the game.
0: Mm -hmm. And just for the listeners to learn from that lesson, like you said about the
1: importance of sort of taking
0: that risk, reflecting of your career, business and sport. How important is it to have that sort of mindset that, you know, go with like a flea throwing decisions, but without thinking about the risk or the consequence?
1: That was definitely a failing in my early stages of my professional career that I would worry too much about all the things that might happen. No, I get my, st- I get my chance to start for Newcastle Falcons. And instead of thinking about how I can deliver all of them and like, all of the great things that have got me to there at that point, because all my focus is all about that, once well, as soon as I got it, all I was, all I did was worry about losing it. Worry about making a mistake, worry about getting injured, like all these sorts of things that in, in, in the end ended up inhibiting my performance. Cause all I spent the whole time on a rugby field was just being a nervous wreck rather than like focusing on all the things that got me in the first place, which like, give me the ball. I'll score tries. Like I'll beat people. Like, give me the ball. I want the ball. I want the ball. I want the ball all the time. I want the pill. And it was actually the sevens in that year in 2008, 2009 that suddenly made me realize actually like, like, this is all about enjoying it and, and focusing on what I'm good at and delivering against my sort of God given talent to, to do this rather than get, you know, doing all the hard work, getting into this, getting into the position where I've got a shot at the title and then worried that I might get hit on the nose, but that belief set, you're such a good player that you can, you can do that. You can deliver. And this is the stage that you're meant to be delivering on. And the the first couple of years of my my professional career were definitely spent, you know, I sort of come into the team, go out of the team, come into the team, go out of the team. Cause you know, I do things in training that no one else could believe. I'd get the shot in the game and then occasionally I'd do it in a game and occasionally occasion I'd be, I wouldn't even be sort of noticeable on a rugby field, right? It wouldn't even, you know, so, uh, and, and then after that, after that period where I suddenly realised, you know, I signed for Stad and, and I got voted as the best player in the world and then the best player in Europe and the best player in the top 14. And uh, it was just a mindset shift. I suddenly, I wasn't any bigger, faster, stronger. It was nothing different but I just, just how I approached it. Just talking about
0: enjoyment, reflecting now, like what did you learn, What do you enjoy the most being a captain during that year reflecting now, which has supported you know actually as a, you know, a leader in business or, you know,
1: even you being a business owner. Um, I just enjoyed the challenge. I just enjoyed the opportunity of being in a position of responsibility to create, to create an environment that enabled people to, to flourish and for us to as a side to ultimately do something and achieve something that no one else well sorry no other english side had ever done before and that was a really compelling and interesting challenge and i i realized that my skill set and my enjoyment came from the engagement with all these other people like actually sitting down and working inverted commas in working, but with you know with people that ultimately became my friends. But but actually, sort of looking at this from a perspective of like, how do we? What are your goals? What are your aspirations? What's your your super strengths? And then how do we make sure we just supercharge them? How do we make sure we just absolutely provide an environment that there's no way for you not to deliver? There's just nothing that you know. We're giving you the the best opportunity to to be you and if you do that we'll you know we'll definitely win more games than we lose
0: again i hope people are taking notes and look i just have two more questions one is reflecting now: what have you enjoyed from your rugby and business career looking back right
1: now i just think the opportunity to work with amazing people and experience brilliant things i'm definitely not done but i just if i reflect on the whatever it is nearly 20 years of, you know, working in a professional environment, that sport or business, it's just been, I've, I have really enjoyed and respected, if you like, the humility that we spoke about, see new things, appreciate other opinions and different walks of life and different ways of doing things and different perspectives and and actually seeing people being, better than me at certain things and therefore learning and, and getting better myself and just feeling that progression I think if I had if I was still now at 39 s- still looking back thinking from the age of 19 I've never met anyone that's been better than me of I haven't learned learnt anything across the way then so what a boring you know what a boring story what a boring existence because really you, you haven't really advanced or progressed at all from when you were 19. I mean, that's pretty tragic. In 20 years, you've learned nothing. So it's that, it's, it's this uh, p- perspective that I've gained over time that's just made life all the more interesting.
0: My goodness, I, I hope you'll enjoy this. I, I really don't want this to end, to be honest, but I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. and. I had Chris Cracknell on the show as well about season two and he said the phrase Ben Ryan taught you guys was be the best version yourself so and you've mentioned that phrase at least three times in this conversation so would you mind sharing to the listeners like three tips or ways so they can be the better version of themselves straight after they've listened to this podcast what three tips would they be?
1: I mean I would say invest a serious amount of time into understanding what makes you move like what are the real drivers What are the, what are the things that Bring you happiness and make you you know feel fulfilled in life, and they'll be different for lots of different people, but have a real understanding of what matters to you rather than what lots of people do in life, which is effectively look to others to to show them or give them you know give them something to work towards as, as a successful goal. The reality is if you work towards that it's never going to be your goal it'll always just be you'll always feel like a bit of a hollow existence. So number one is spend some time investing and understanding yourself. the The second one is don't sweat the small stuff. You know, don't worry about I don't know all the little things that could go wrong or that you know or that you might get you might not be able to do. If you if you spend your whole life telling yourself what you can't do, you never actually realise what you can do. So you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Just you know, decide what it is you want to do and then and then crack on and then and then the final one was probably have a goal right i mean have 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 something however big or however small to work towards because you know if you do that then you can start to build some constructive process and you can start to give yourself some some praise and some reward and some recognition of of you know, for, like doing something right I've you know there's nothing more fulfilling than going like I would really love to in eight weeks time be able to do this and then you work towards it and you understand that you enjoy the revel in the process and you do then at the end of it you've got better you've improved and that's what goals are all about you know it's it's just trying to con- continually improve And if you don't hit them it doesn't matter you're still gonna end up in a better place than where you started and you'll probably learn how to do it better the next time so I think it's it's about that you know continual appetite or zest for sort of progression and 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 it for me that comes from constructive goal setting so I think you know all of those for me are are critical and I would say the wrapper for that is a saying that we used to have on our when I sailed around the world which was it's always a good time which is basically that no matter how good or how bad life gets, just be grateful and enjoy the ride, right? I mean, and I think if you approach life with a, you know, glass-half-full attitude, more things will go right for you than will go wrong.
0: Ollie, that is awesome. I hope that people put those four tips into practice. Out of interest, how can people connect with you online? Like, Where's the best place to go to connect with you?
1: Oh, uh, I mean, connect on LinkedIn, Ollie Phillips, or, you know, Twitters and all it's all the social handles, it's at Ollie Phillips Eleven. Have a look at our business that we do now, which is all around teams and cultures, which is called Optimist Performance. But um yeah, just keep keep living and breathing it and keep that attitude of gratitude.
0: Absolutely. To all the listeners listening in, all those links to my website relating to this podcast chat. Ollie, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Manny. See you soon. What
0: a fantastic podcast chat with Ollie. I have to be honest, I didn't really want it to end. But like anything, good things have to come to an end. But I really do hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I've taken so much learning from it. And without a doubt, I'll have to re-listen to it as well. But with regards to today's podcast topic, with regards to building a great, effective team environment, I hope you've got a better understanding of why building a good team culture of success is vital. Like, without a doubt, from a learning experience perspective, I hope you watch the two YouTube videos, which are the two finals, one in Auckland and the other one was in Twickenham. And you can relate to what Ollie was saying in this podcast with regards to what happened in both those matches and having the ability to look at a sporting example and how it can relate to today's real world. Like, the adversity in both finals, England were both down but they managed to, as Ollie said, focus of what they were good at, having that big belief to win. And without a doubt, like my biggest takeaway, and it's more of a reminder, and I know it's used a lot with regards to personal development, but really believing in your ability and focusing on your strengths. Like that was my biggest takeaway. Like I really enjoyed the piece when Ollie was saying, focus on your super strength and just develop that. Because when you're performing under pressure, this is sport or if this isn't your work it will just come naturally through that flow but without a doubt from a leader perspective having that good team environment is vital like without a doubt I enjoyed the piece when Ollie was saying about that Dan Norton try how I still can't get my head around that was his first try for England with the pressure of 30 seconds and we had to score a try and a conversion and literally if I'm correct it's his first touch on the ball and Dan just did his thing and scored an immense try At such a pivotal moment of the game. And it was the bit when Ollie was saying, because of the team environment where Dan felt safe and his ability, he felt encouraged by the older players, it made him just shine and just focus on his ability. I think that's vital, which I've taken as being a leader or which I aspire to one day, like being with a group of a team. It's these sort of learning lessons which I hope you can apply if you're a manager in whoever team you work with is just focusing on the strengths and focusing on that unity of the team you're with if you want more information about ollie's business because that's what he does he supports businesses and organizations with regards to building a better team environment go to optimist performance all the details are in the show notes so you can connect with him direct and without a doubt right at the end from a sports career development perspective be the best version of you and really apply one of those qualities which you can apply right now after this podcast. And let me know at Ed Bowers 101 on Twitter and share with me your biggest takeaway from this podcast and how you're going to put it into practice. So on that note, I look forward to hearing you on Twitter and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Ollie said, people flourish within a team when they feel part of a community they relax and they discover their true talent within that team.